All right, welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. And, you know, our mission here at the Eternal Leadership Podcast is to equip and inspire leaders to accomplish what God has inspired in them. And it's just been an incredible journey. And today we're going to have an an interview with a very close friend of mine. And before we get into that, uh, I just want to share with you that uh, this interview is going to be incredibly equipping and give you some practical steps on how to step into your best self and make some changes in your life, your organization, your family, your business, your company that that is going to truly be impactful. And we just uh, just appreciate you as you're out there. And uh, we just uh, thank you for being part of our community. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, please, as you listen to this, if you hear something you like, you know, go into iTunes and and share this. We'd love for you to subscribe and or go to our website, eternalleadership.com, and and uh, you can uh, subscribe right there at the top and uh, be on our newsletter list. So now the interview this week is with my good friend, Ford Taylor. Ford, welcome to the podcast. Hi, John. Thank you. It's always fun to be with you. And it is always fun to you uh, be with you. Ford and I just spent the last week together working on uh, with a client in Oklahoma City. It was an incredible experience. And I just want to share with you, we're going to be talking about a book that uh, all of us that, that know Ford and around Ford have been encouraging him to write this book for a long time. And the book comes out this week. So congratulations, first of all, on the, the launch of the Relational Leadership book, Ford. Well, thank you, John. And, and you're right. A lot of people have been encouraged it a long time. As you know, when I speak, I tell people I'm a, I'm a talker, not a, I'm, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I'm a talker, not a writer. So it takes me a while to get the writing done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sure does. Um, now, many of you, you know me and we have, you know, we have people listening. I know all over the world. And when I first, Ford was one of our first guests on the podcast and shared with me what he's doing and what in this thing called transformational leadership. And I've been around leadership my whole life. I literally have hundreds and hundreds of leadership books behind me on my bookshelves. And uh, But man, there was just something special and unique for it about what you'd shared and the, the outcomes, the results. And and I'd, uh, I was already working with clients as an executive coach. And I flew out to Ohio and went through a transformational leadership workshop. And what I saw there, was, I'm like, you know what? This is like everything I'm doing now except gooder. <laughs> it was better. It was more clear. It had more practical tools. And, you know, whether it's building, you know, a high performing team, whether it's resolving conflict, whether it's creating a culture that your millennials or your employees on Monday morning are excited when they're driving into work on Monday to come to. Uh, I mean, there's so many applications in the, 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 my observation forward really of the whole leadership industry, and I think the leadership industry has done a lot of us who are listening right now a disservice because everybody's trying to sell something, publish something. It's kind of about themselves, but there's a gap that's missing and everybody's talking about the why and the what. Uh, they talk about their experiences, but they don't give you that last step on how to maybe connect that to apply it to something real in your life. And that's the how to actually go make some of these transformational, which means permanent changes, right? We have to change ourselves so we can change others, so we can change an organization, organization being, you know, our family or business or anything else. So uh, what we're going to be talking about today 
is really some of these key tools in relational leadership. And I just want to let everybody know, uh, this is kind of a neat thing. I, we have listeners in 192 countries. And if you go on Amazon.com, uh, there's a special price this week in their pre-launch. The actual hardcover book is not ready. And we have a lot of people in other countries that can't get a hardcover book from Amazon. But you can get the ebook for just $3.99. And that's at uh, Amazon or any bookseller. And just type in Relational Leadership by Ford Taylor because we really want to get this in your hands, okay? Uh, if you buy this book and you don't think uh, it was worth your time, you let me know. I will personally refund the $4 you spent on this book. That is how good it is. Uh, so, Ford, it, you know, that, I'd love to turn it over to you, though, and just ha- share a little bit, I think, for people that might not know you, kind of the story that led you to creating what is now known as STL and, and uh, a lot of the you know, the, the passion and the work that you're doing today? Well, you know, John, a, a lot of people, you know, some people you would ask the question, was it a cursing or a blessing? Uh, but, but I was blessed to be able to start a business or buy a bankrupt business uh, when I was very young at 25 years old. And over the next nine years, it grew very rapidly by us buying broken companies, going in and doing some intentional things in those companies, fixing them, put a management team in place, and then go buy another one. A uh, venture capitalist company called me and said, hey, we love your strategy. How about selling us a part of your company and let's use your strategy with bigger money and do the same thing. And so, you know, one of those things that probably one of the worst decisions I ever made, but ended up over time being a really good decision. Uh, during that season, uh, we became... Uh, what was known in our industry, at least in the trade journals, is the number one company in our industry in America. And during that season, as you also know, while we were having tremendous business success and and grew to the top of of our industry, I also ended up having a lifestyle of doing something that I said I would never do, and that was moral failures, um, you know, adultery, cheating on my wife. And thank goodness God got a hold of me and, and brought me out of that. And when he did, I, I started asking questions around some things that I saw as I was traveling around the world for that business. I then stayed home for 10 years because I wanted to finish strong at home with my children and really reconcile. And thank goodness my wife uh, is, is an angel. She's probably as close to Jesus as anybody I know because she forgave me on the spot when I told her what I had done and our marriage is better than we ever thought possible now. And, uh, January will be 37 years. So, hey, congratulations. So, well, thank you. And so there's some good news, bad news in all this, but God got a hold of me. And, and what I saw, John, when I traveled that first time, and then now I travel, as you know, cause we do a lot of it together. But as I travel the world again, I find the same thing I found back then. And that's that Everybody I meet, is smart, gifted, or talented in at least one area of their life. And many are smart, gifted, talented in multiple areas. But but the bigger thing that I found is that the vast majority of people around the world have big hearts. They care. They care about other people. They care about the world around them. And so the big question was, if that's true, why is it that if, if everybody is smart, gifted, or talented, and I'm going to guess 95 to 97% of the world have huge hearts, they actually care. You I know, think you're absolutely it? right. 
you know, why is that not who we read about in the paper? Why is that not who's on the media? And as I started looking deeper into it, what I realized is that we do have a lot of good stuff out there about leadership. Uh, it, it, it's good, you know, I, I, great theory. It, it's good on the what it is. It's good on, even on the why, but there was very little about how to connect the head and the heart, if you will, uh, on the how. You know, what, what are the things that you actually do to restore relationship? What are those events that you actually do to grow your company, to win more games if you're coaching a sports team, to run a government, to actually have a classroom where the teacher really does have higher producing students. And as I looked into it, I started realizing that so much of our success in business is because that's what we were giving people. And while I didn't realize that back at the time, that these principles were working and they were working every time because they were kingdom biblically based principles. And I started realizing, you know, if we could put this in a format that people could understand in English, you know, these kingdom principles that were successful over and over again, that we really could help people in their personal lives, in their business lives, in their sports lives. And as you know, I believe an organization is any time two or more people are in relationship. And if we have influence with at least one person, that by definition makes us a leader. So everybody on this podcast is a leader in some sphere of influence and they are in multiple organizations. So that's kind of the premise of where TL, Transformational Leadership, came from. Yeah, and, you know, you titled the book, you know, you pulled out all this material, and this is, this is uh, you've had some phenomenal success, and you've, uh, and together you and I have had success working with clients from the U.S. military and Fortune 100 companies to startup entrepreneurs to broken families to ministries, both church plants, to very mature organizations. And all of these incredible tools and ingredients and behaviors and how to put these together, what you pulled out of that is the title of the book called Relational Leadership, When Relationships Collide with Transaction, Practical Tools for Every Leader. What may, in, in, in this concept of being a relational leader is one of the things that you teach. And what brought that for yourself or to kind of the, the top when you were thinking about um, putting all this together? Well, there, there are two reasons, and one of them was just a logical reason, is that, you know, 15, 16 years ago when we started doing transformational leadership, it actually was a course, and, and we never heard these terms like I've been through that before. But transformational leadership, the term itself, has now become more of a genre than the class that we taught. And so, you know, the question is, do you rebrand yourself? Do you change it? Because as you know, John, 100% of the people who come to our training say this is nothing like any transformational leadership class we've ever been to. So one was, there's lots of books written on transformational leadership. And number two was, you know, what's at the center of so many problems, you know, as we go into these organizations, we almost always find that there's five or six key things. It's one of those five or six things. And one of them, you know, it's just the inability to, for people to get along and work together, resolve conflict, do discipline. And at the core of that is we have two types of people. And, and think of this, as you know, as a continuum. And on one end of that continuum, we have people that are highly relational. 
you know, all day, what they want to be sure of is that no matter what else is going on, that the relationship is okay. And on the other end, we have people that are highly transactional. Uh, they're highly task oriented. And what they want to be sure of is the job gets done. That doesn't mean they don't care about relationships, but as we go through life, they're going to prioritize getting the work done and then deal with the relationship later. Highly relation pe- relational people are going to focus on being sure the relationship's good and then get the work done later. And we realize how much conflict takes place between those two types of people, and they don't even realize it's there. And now, so is, is this kind of how people are wired for it, or is this uh, something people are kind of choosing to do? Is there kind of a one is better than the other? No, it, 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 there's not a right or wrong here. This is just an, I call it an ism. It's just the way it is. And most of us uh, have a natural bent to be on one end of that continuum or the other. And even as we get better at meeting in the middle, uh, as you know, we give people the tools, ingredients, and behaviors for those highly relational people to become more task-oriented, more transactional, without giving up their natural bent to be relational. And we give the highly transactional people the tools, ingredients, and behavior to become more relational without giving up their natural bent to be transactional, and we call that being a relational leader. But even in stress, you know, when, when, when the stress kicks in, we're going to lean one way or the other. I mean, and typically we're going to go towards however we were created, however we were made. We're, we're going we're to lean towards that in the continuum. And there's not, again, there's no right or wrong here, but the question is, if we're always focused on transaction with no relationship, then odds are our organizations are going to be high stress, super high stress, high turnover, uh, very productive during spurts, but over time, uh, be very difficult to keep people around, whether that's a marriage, a family, a sports team, uh, a company, a government, it doesn't matter. And if you had all relational people in your organization, that was all. Well, it's probably going to end up in a place of very low productivity and eventually conflict because a lot of those people may never be held accountable to the actual performance because they're so focused on the relationship. So it's, it's critical that we have both uh, the whole continuum, basically, but we have both people that no matter which way they lean, that they are parts of our organizations. So if, if, if I start to understand this, if I'm working with a team, I'm running an organization and I have these different people in my organization, what, what, what do I do next with that? Well, number one, you know, as, as we all know, if, if we're going to get a change, an organizational, relational, cultural change in our organization, it takes a very small percentage to do that. But if we're going to get it, uh, step number one is we have to have new knowledge, which is the easiest level of change. You can read a book. Uh, you can listen to your podcast. You can go to TED Talk, go to church on Sunday morning. Uh, number two, uh, which is a more difficult level of change, is a change in our attitude. Why is that? Because our emotions kick in. It could be anger, sadness. It could be old history that kicks in. And But all those things take place. And the third level of change is our actual behavior, our actions. Well, if we can get enough people in one organization to pull on the same rope, the same direction with new knowledge, with a new attitude and new behavior, we now can get a relational slash organizational, in some places even use the word a cultural change in that organization. And so if we can get people 
to pull on that rope going towards a common vision with those changes, now it's a, it's a much higher uh, producing, higher productivity. Sports teams win more games. Companies make more money. Families are, uh, people are happier. Families are happier. Marriage is happier. It's more productivity at home. Kids make higher grades uh, on their tests at school because they understand how to resolve conflict and, and when some of it becomes literally just because one's transactional, one's relational. But if we can get people with that new knowledge first, then we can get the attitude change. And we, as you know, we give the tools on how to, on even how to do that. And when that happens, now we got a behavioral change. And if enough of us do that, we can soar in our organizations. Yeah, I mean that that is some pretty exciting news. You know, if you look at your your family, your organization right now, and realize you know three to fifteen percent is what you said, right? So if it's a small organization, twenty people, it only takes one or two people to really start changing how they're showing up to completely transform a culture. And one of my clients right now that was a kind of a very kind of toxic culture for about thirty eight employees. In over the last six months, of two people have really taking in exactly some of the things you're talking about and going to share it is a different place today you walk in the front door and there's just a life there there's an energy there people are smiling and that's not how it was six months ago when you walked in the door you know john and and again just to hear those stories over and over again it's so exciting because that's why we do what we do is knowing that if people have a personal transformation new knowledge in their own life how many people they can impact around them, coworkers. I mean, how many people are we hearing now that are leading up, that are influencing their bosses, they're getting promotions because they've learned how to take these tools and lead up. And like you said, statistically speaking, almost all research shows it takes three to 5%. Now we do use the number 15 because we've dealt with some pretty big organizations. It did take a little bit more, but almost every time it's as low as three to 5%, it's all it takes to completely shift the, the relational organizational part of an organization. So, you know, and, and now the flip side of that coin is I could have those three to 5% of people that are just have bad attitudes. We've all worked with those folks who I think we could identify it's something that uh, we call a lean outer. Those people that are just, you know, they're, they're always an anchor on productivity relationships. They like to throw hand grenades into things. Those are the folks that can, you know, take a culture hostage. So when we have folks like that in the organization, if we're trying to influence the organization, lead the, the organization, what are some things we can do when we have people like that around? You know, it's interesting, John, because another thing that we find in most organizations, again, where it's family, schools, government, business, it doesn't matter, sports teams, uh, one of the things that most leaders are not well equipped at is something that we call discipline. Mm. You know, and, and the definition of discipline is training to elicit a certain pattern or behavior. You know, training to get someone to behave a certain way. You know, punishment is about the person doing it, and discipline is about the person receiving the discipline. And so, if we can discipline those lean outers in a way that they have to make a choice, they either lean in or we lean them on out. And this tool that we teach, what's so fun about it, is it takes off all the stress off to the person that's functionally responsible for the, the leading the person that's the lean outer, because it makes it the lean outer's choice. It's done with questions and stories. 
they're given legal, I mean, it's, it's a legal process, and it makes it where the leader has two things. They never have to fire anybody again, and they never have to keep anybody on their staff that they don't want again. Okay, I think you had a whole bunch of people listening right now that might be running an organization for it that just probably stood up and said, what did he just say? Yeah, let me say it again. We have a tool <laughs> in the training and in the book that, that's legal in, in, in the United States and some other countries. It's a legal tool, acceptable to use. It's done with stories and questions, and it, it's a process by which if you are the leader of an organization or a department or a sports team, whatever it is, it's a process that allows you to never have to fire anybody again or kick anybody off your team, and you never have to keep anybody again that you don't want. And that tool is in the book. It's in the training that we do. And we get told over and over again, if people will do it exactly the way it's laid out, the simplicity of it and how much stress goes down for leaders because none of us want to fire anybody. We lose sleep at night worrying about their families. Well, you don't have to ever fire anybody again, and you don't ever ever have to keep anybody on your team you don't want again with this tool. Yeah, and uh, I've used it myself. My clients have used it, and it talk about taking the stress down. And also, I would also tell people when and when you tolerate, you know what we teach, what we tolerate. And if we're, you know, if we're in an organization and we're tolerating, you know, bad behavior or behavior that's counter to the culture that we're trying to create, we're, you know, that when we're kind of spending a lot of our time with those, that small percentage of people that are the problem, what is the message that that is sending to our high potential people, our leaders, the people that are doing their job? And uh, in every situation I can think of, when these people have made a choice to leave the organization, uh, you know, by using this tool, the whole rest of the organization, man, it just rises up to that that next level of just relationship and trust and 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 connectivity. And it's uh, so some of the other outcomes, in addition to not having the stress of having to fire people, is that you're going to make your organization so much healthier and stronger, don't you think? Yeah, John, I love the way you put it. I'm, I'm stealing it. You know, what you tolerate, you teach. And I love the way you say that, because if we let the lean outers stay in our organization, a number of things happen. We have this group called the inner core. We have the people around them called the core. And all this is in the book. And and, and people really are pulling the rope on the same direction. And there's a third group called lean inners. And the lean inners deep down want to be a part of the core, but for, for a number of reasons. And one of them is typically a lack of trust. And that lack of trust comes because they don't believe that the inner core and core will ever deal with the lean outers. And so what happens is if you let the lean outers stay, they become your three to five percent and the lean inners then join the lean outers. But what we found over and over again, even if the, and we got stories after stories on this, that even if the lean outer is your highest performer, but they have unhealthy relationships with the people they work with that when they're dealt with, everybody else's performance rises to the top because they now trust that the leader will not allow that lean-outer that's killing everybody relationally. They won't allow them to stay in the organization just because they're a high transactional performer. 
And then all of a sudden, the lean owners join the core. You, you reduce the number of lean owners. Now your tipping point is getting the culture to go, the organization to go, in the direction that you want it to go. It's amazing. Yeah, because what that really does, it starts really developing uh, that trust in, in a culture. And Ford, how, how important would you say building trust is in, in an organization? Well, it, it, you know, we call that step number one. You know, we teach the five organizational models uh, in the book and in the training. And the first one, what we call it the, the visionary slash the trust model. Uh, and then we take it to become more ho- cohesive in how to teach, train, equip the people. We wrap it up with what we call the V-Steel model, cast vision, serve, teach, train, equip, empower, let go, and evaluate. But, John, you can't get through stages two, three, four, and five without getting through stage one, which is trust. And, and you and I both know some new research just came out uh, on trust. And uh, you, if you want to share that or I can, but it's amazing the difference in the productivity of high trust companies versus low trust companies. It's, it blows my mind, this new research. Yeah, let me share this with everybody. It's, uh, there was a, a number of uh, research done in a whole bunch of different companies, and they just asked people to just self-report what they felt the level of trust is. So if you're listening, you can say, hey, on a scale of 1 to 10, what is the level of trust you have with your coworkers, your boss, you know, between departments, whatever it ha- however you want to define it because they let people self-define this, but here's what they here's what they found compared with people, I'll just read this. Compared with people at low trust companies, people at high trust companies. Now remember in in you know Ford and I always when we work with a team and we're cuz a lot of it, here's kind of my philosophy, right? That inner game determines that outer game. So we're where a lot of the initial work we do and what transformational facilitates, transformational leadership facilitates, is how do we actually uh, start working on ourselves, becoming our best self? And how do we then help others around us become their best selves? And then how do we bring that into how a team functions and an organization functions? So that's built on trust. And uh, Ford and I were just talking, you know, when we look back at the results that our clients have, you know, the tangible, concrete, measurable things, anything we want to look at, engagement, productivity, you know, turnover, uh, profits, margins, we can always trace it back to this place where we have unity in a team and that trust is developed. And then it's, it's backed up by this. So this, this is pretty awesome. So people at high trust companies report 74% less stress, 106% more energy at work, 50% higher productivity. So think about that, you business owners. How do you like to have 50% higher productivity and all, it, all you did is develop some better relationship at work? 13% fewer sick days, 76 more engagement, and lack of engagement right now in the U.S. especially is just an epidemic. It's crazy. Um, 29% more satisfaction with their lives and 40% less burnout. So think about the tangible results of some of the things that we're talking about. And, you know, Ford, you talked about, you know, in these different levels of organization, this uh, concept called V-Steel, which is really rooted. And I was going to ask you about this, right? A lot of us know what the definition of a leader is, but a lot of us don't really know what a leader should do or what a leader does or really what that purpose 
uh, of uh, of leadership when we're in a, a leadership role. And what are your thoughts on that? What is the in your mind? What is that purpose of leadership? Well, and and again, I'm, I'm going to share it, but I think it's important for people to know that when we share it, we don't just share what it is. We actually show people how to walk through this. And so I think the purpose for a leader, number one, is to cast vision for their organization, okay? That their job is to be sure that that people within the organization know what the clearly uh, cast vision is. Once that vision is cast... Hey, hey Ford, can I ask you a question on that? So if I'm in an organization... How often should I be casting vision? Do I just do it at a team meeting once a quarter, our annual meeting, or uh, what does it really look like practically day to day to be, you know, casting vision as a leader? Well, number one, if everybody knows what the vision is, it can become part of the language. I mean, it becomes part of the, the, the context in which the conversations take place, even if they're not quoting it verbatim. It becomes part of the process. Uh, in the team meetings, maybe it is verbatim at the top of the agenda every time. Uh, maybe it is posted on the walls, but it's not. It, it becomes part of the conversation. And of course, you know, we break it down between vision, mission, and purpose. But but all that is is a different tool. But all those three in combination is okay. We now know where we're going. And we all agree this is where we're going. And the people that want to go there, that's our inner core and our core. Our lean inners will join us if they trust us. And so if that vision is clearly cast, it's put in front of the team, it's kept in front of the team, if it's inspiring, if it's encouraging, then that's the people that want to join us in our organization. And why would we want people in our organization that doesn't want to join us, that don't want to join us in a common vision? So that's step number one in the Be Still model. Right. Thank you. What's step two? And once the leader casts that vision, it's that leader's role, whether they're the department head or the company head or the parents or the coach of the team. Okay. It's their job now to serve their team. That's what the S stands for, to serve their team. In other words, basically, if you can think of a a top-down organizational model that most people call command control, just think of it that way. Remove the name command control and just replace it with visionary. Now turn that model upside down and think of, wow, it's now my t- job to see to it that my team is served in a way, and if you can think of the next three letters, that I, I it's my job to see to it that they are taught, trained, and equipped to go toward that vision. In other words, there may be things that I don't have the capacity personally as a leader to do the teaching, train, equipping. Someone else may have to do it. In other words, I can't teach people uh, how to do IT in our company. I'm, I'm like the anti-technical guy. But if, <laughs> that, but that if, is very true. <laughs> that's true. But if we have people on our team that are doing technical stuff and they're part of going towards the common vision, they do have to be taught, trained, and equipped how to do it. So someone else may have to do that, but it's my job as a leader to see to it that they are taught, trained, and equipped. So cast vision, serve, teach, train, and equip. Teach is new knowledge. Okay. Train is giving people the experience. Equip is give them the tool. During that process, we're going to do a lot of delegation. Not much empowerment yet, but delegating to be sure that they're getting the experience, the knowledge, and the tools. Once we do that, now we can empower them. And empowerment equals capacity. 
And so as the leader learns to empower their team more, not only does the leader get capacity, the team that now is empowered also gets more capacity. So now we've cast vision, serve, teach, train, equip, empower. Now the job as a leader is to let go. Let those people go out and do what you've taught, trained, and equipped them to do. Now your job as a leader becomes to evaluate how are we doing toward going towards that vision. And now you find yourself as the leader of the sports team, not having to work so hard in the games. The team knows how to do it. The CEO of a company gets a lot of relief. They now can work on the business instead of always being down in the details of the business. Um, the parents can be a part of working on the family, that we can do stuff as a family because we're not so down in the details of in the family. You know, the, the children through the discipline model, through the social covenant of how we get along, you know, their, their grades go up, they get along better. The parents aren't arguing as much. And so th this works across all those different spheres. And so we call it V, steal, and lead, cast vision, serve, teach, train, equip, empower, let go, and evaluate. Now, now, Ford, as you, as you talk about that, one of the things that I think a lot of leaders struggle with is, you know, working in their strengths and, you know, looking at their team and having, you know, kind of the right people in the right seat. And a big part of that, you know, is how to delegate, when to delegate, how to do it well in a way that develops people. How is there a way to use this model in a way that we can actually become better delegators um, you know, to raise the performance of our team, but also give us kind of the some of that space that we need to be working in our strengths more because, you know, hey, that's, you know, that's probably why we're at, at work in the first place. Yeah, John, it's almost like for some reason in our world, we've taken that word delegation and almost made it a dirty word. You know, it's like, you know, empower me, empower me, empower me. Well, if we empower people before we've taught, trained, and equipped them, and in the teaching, training, equipping is when we do the delegation. In other words, for me, you know, let's just say you and I were going to train someone to go do the TL training. And, and if we just said, okay, come watch me do it. Now you're empowered to go do it. That wouldn't make any sense. They, they would fail completely. And so somehow we have to go through the process of teaching them giving them the knowledge that they need to do it. Now we have to train them, which means they're going to stand up with us. They're going to get some experience in front of a crowd. They're going to get experiential delegation. In other words, we're going to say, we're going to delegate to you. You're going to do these three sessions in our training. So be prepared to do these three. Let me know what you need. So that's, that, that, that is part of the delegation. And then if, if we're going to equip them, then when they stand up to train, they, they got to have the manual. They got to have a microphone. I mean, there's tools that they have to, to have to have. At some point, as we go through that process with them, and we've taught them all the different tools, we've let them have experience for they stand up and teach the tools. Now we can fully empower them because we've given them the teaching, the training, and the equipping, release them to go do it on their own where we don't have to be there with them. And now you get capacity. That's just that's just a quick example of what that would mean for us. And, you know, to empower somebody, right, that's really taking kind of control um, in decision making and pushing it down to kind of where that information, right, that experience, the tools are, the person that um, has that expertise uh, with it. Um, 
you know, when you're working with organizations, what are some of the things that um, have helped people to really, you know, release people? You talked about that next step is letting go. And I've seen, you know, with a lot of leaders, they're uncomfortable with that concept of giving up that control. What advice do you have for people that, you know, that resonates with them? Well, you know, John, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got when I was probably in my mid-30s, uh, a guy about 10 years older than me, he came and said, can I come to see you? And I said, yes. And, and he looked me right square in the eye and he said, Ford, let me explain something to you. Nobody in the world will do it exactly like you're going to do it, but the job will still get done. And so what has to happen is if we really do give people the teaching, training, and equipping they need, they may not do it 100% exactly like you as the boss. They may not do it exactly like you would do it, but they still will get the job done. And if we're, if we're over-controlling, if we're command control, their, their, their stress is going to be higher. You know, we talk about anxiety in the, in the book and in the training. If their anxiety is high because they're always worried about not doing it perfectly exactly like you would do it, 100% like you would do it. As long as you get 100% of the result, that's what we're after. Not that they have to stand up and say every word verbatim the same way you or I might say it. Matter of fact, we're, we don't say it the same. Um, and so if we can lower their stress, lower their anxiety, free them up to be fully empowered, uh, you know, customer service departments, that they got to have a basic level of knowledge. You know, one of the things we teach, for example, is how to deal with upset customers, how to deal with upset people. But but then you got to free them up, empower them to be able to take those calls, find out what the information is, bring it to a decision, and then activate on the decision. Uh, it, it just works across, you know, every department in every sphere. That's what's so interesting about this, John. Yeah, I agree. And, you know... Um uh, as I'm thinking about this too, just circle back to something you talked about in the very beginning. And I know some people are probably very interested in this was, you know, uh, was one of the biggest constraints in a lot of organizations is, you know, that there's conflict that exists and we have to learn how to resolve conflict. And what I have found is a lot of people are just very uncomfortable with conflict. And I think this, you know, some of the new generations coming into the workforce uh, they're even less comfortable with conflict than anybody else. But I think we're looking at it wrong. So uh, what, what is your thoughts on, you know, how you actually look at something that might be perceived as conflict? And, you know, what is a way that, you know, we can share with people on how to maybe approach a situation, a conversation differently that actually, you know, maybe clarifies that situation and builds a relationship at the same time. Because that I, I don't think most people see conflict as a tool to actually build a relationship. Yeah, it, it's interesting that, you know, almost every organization we've been into uh, over all my history, the ones I bought, the ones I've owned, the ones I've consulted with, you know, the marriages, almost all of them have one of these top six issues as their biggest constraint. And one of those top six is conflict avoidance. And so we, we actually give a tool on how to resolve conflict. And one of the things we recommend people to do is, first of all, let's agree on how we're going to treat each other. And once we make that agreement, now all of a sudden any conflict becomes a positive because it opens the door for more productivity if we deal with it. So now conflict is not seen as a negative. It's seen as 
an opportunity to be more productive. So first of all, how are we going to treat each other? Boom. If one of us fails, we put a tool in place on how, uh, what the process would be. Well, now, if we're all in agreement, here's how we're going to treat each other, and we're in agreement that here's the process we're going to use. Uh, if we break that agreement, now all of a sudden, it's, it's just another tool. It's a part of the culture. It's a part of what we're going to do. What is that process and, you typically see that people... That, that you, you've come up with, you've seen teams come up with that work? Well, it's pretty consistent that people come up with, hey, let's go to the person that we have the conflict with. In other words, let's cut out the gossip. You know, let's don't go to other people. Let's go to the person that we have the conflict with. Generally, they come up with it. That doesn't work. Let's agree in advance that we're going to try another meeting with one or two other people to listen to us and see if they might help us get through it if that doesn't work then let's have a pre-agreed group and let's agree on a group of people that we can present to. And then they, that group would say, you know, John, this is you or Ford, this is you. You know, a lot of people assume that just because they go to someone saying, quote, whatever it is, that's disrespectful, unquote, whatever it is, that they make the assumption that whoever went is automatically right. But they may not be. It could be a pain from the past and the other person. But anyway, the process is go one-on-one, take one or two people with you that you both agree to help. If that doesn't work, stand before a group. And once the group decides, no, John, this one's yours. No, Ford, this one's yours. This one's on you. Then it's up to the person that's wrong to either apologize or leave the group. Now, John, in a minute, I'm going to talk about one of the reasons this is so successful. It's because how we teach people to go, you know, the how to go one-on-one is far more important than the fact that we just went one-on-one. But in this, in all my years of teaching this tool, I've only seen it get to that third meeting four times. And three of those times, the person that did the accusing, the accusation, accusing the other person of being wrong didn't come to the meeting and one time the person being accused refused to go to the meeting and so that's pretty telling isn't it that's pretty telling on how good the tool is because typically if they won't show up they're pretty much saying uh, i just don't want to sit in front of the group because i'm going to be wrong but what's so fun about this tool is that number one it's an it's pre-agreed in other words we don't have to kick john out of the group we don't have to kick ford out of the group because they've already agreed that if the group says Ford that behavior has to change then i've got two choices i can apologize or i can leave the group so when people go one-on-one in a conflict and they go this way we find that well over 95 percent of the time the conflict is resolved if they go in humility, which means I may be wrong, they grow. They go in pre-forgiveness. In other words, I'm not coming to you, John, because I'm mad at you. I'm coming because I want to restore the relationship. If they go, and the word I use is love, some corporations want to change the word to care because of the definition we use. It means I care more about you than I do how you feel about me, which means just in case I'm right, if that behavior that you did with me, if by some chance you're doing it with other people, maybe with your wife, maybe with your children, you could be damaging relationships. And I'm willing to put my relationship with you at risk. Knowing I may be wrong, it may just be me. But just in case I'm right, I care more about you than I do me. And then number four, we go with 100% of the truth and the facts, because sometimes the truth and the facts 
are not the same. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, for example, uh, you may come to me uh, and say, hey, Ford, I saw you steal a pen off uh, Beth's desk. And I'll say, John, what are you talking about? Well, you know, I may be wrong, but I saw you go in her office, look around, and pick up a really nice pen off her desk. Well, that's true. I did do it. You saw me do it. Well, you're now confronting me because maybe in the social covenant, we made a deal that we would be honest. But if you came to me and said, hey, Ford, I may be wrong on this. I may not have seen what I thought I saw, but I thought I saw you take this really nice pen off of uh, Beth's desk. And if I saw that, I just want to be sure that, you know, I care enough about you that I don't want you to break the covenant of being dishonest. Wow, John, thanks for coming to me. That is what you saw. I did leave my pen in there. She found it. She told me she would leave it on the desk for me to come by and pick it up. So the truth is, I did take the pen off her desk, but the fact is, I did not steal it. And so that's why you have to be real careful. That it, Just think if you went and told 10 people, can you all believe I saw Ford steal a pen off of Beth's desk? All of a sudden, the rumor mill goes crazy, and you can't take that back. You can't bring that back in, and this just destroys organizations. Yeah, and well, you're you know you're bringing up a very important point. Um, you know, gossip. How do how, how do you define gossip, Ford? And and here's I you know before you do that, I want to just share with people. Uh, if there is gossip in your organization right now, and l- let's just be honest, there is. Do you know that it is costing you eight to fourteen hours per week per person? Hear that again: eight to hour, eight to fourteen hours per week per person of productivity. Because somebody, let's say, mentions to me, "Hey, I saw Ford stealing a pen." Now, all of a sudden, I'm thinking Ford doesn't have integrity. Now I'm trying to do you know some work with Ford on a team. Now I'm approaching Ford differently. That it ha- it is just this cancer that's in our organizations. The good news is. You can eliminate gossip overnight if if we hold each other accountable using some of these these tools that we're talking about. And Ford, I'd love for you to share a little bit about that. Yeah. So so we so let's start. Let's go back. We we have an agreement in place how we're going to treat each other. We have an agreement now on the process we're going to use uh, if we break it. We now know how we're going to go. Uh, humility, pre forgiveness, love, and truth. And what happens when we do that, we now cut down on gossip. Because what is gossip? It's when someone says something negative about a person to someone different who's not part of the problem or part of the solution. So if you say something negative about someone else to someone else who's not part of the problem or part of the solution, that's gossip. And rest assured, if people will gossip to you, they will gossip about you. Because what we found is that great people talk about vision and ideas, average people talk about things, small people talk about other people, smaller people let them, even smaller people join them, and even smaller people tell others. And when you cut gossip down in an organization, back to what we talked about a while ago, trust goes up, trust goes up. We've already talked about the productivity numbers in an organization that that has a trusting environment. Well, this has been just an awesome conversation. I could talk for hours with you about this, Ford, but you know, how do people connect with you? Where do they find the book? 
Um, tell us a little bit more about, about what people's next steps after hearing this conversation should be. Well, if they'd like to buy the book, uh, as you said, we're going to release the hard copy on November 27th on Amazon.com. They can get the e-version even now and and all the way through the week of the 27th at at $3.99. The hard copy is $14.99, so that's one way. Another way would be go to our website, transformlead.com. If by some chance you might want to attend one of our live events, uh, there, there, many of those are listed on there. There's more being posted, maybe even today, but uh, to be able to go to one of our live events called Transformational Leadership. Uh, a third way is we have a website called tlondemand.com, and that's where you can get the training on an interactive platform uh, 24-7 if you have internet coverage to be able to get the TL training there. So that's really the three ways. If you wanted us to come into your organization, uh, you could go to the transformlead.com website also, uh, shoot us an email, and then someone will contact you back if you wanted us to come to your city or inside your organization. Yeah, and I would encourage everybody, like I said in the very beginning, uh, you know, just having lived this, being part of it, seeing the results in my own life, my client's life, uh, the work we're doing with some huge organizations, small organizations, is this is definitely a book that you want to not just read, but, you know, get this book, sit down as you go through it, uh, you know, t- and study this one. This, this is a one that, that is going to up-level, I believe, every area of your life. And you know what? I, would, I know Ford would appreciate if you read this is to go on to Amazon and, you know, leave a, leave a review, uh, leave an honest review on there. And Ford, just as we wrap up, if somebody went and read the whole book, went to a live workshop, um, what would you say would be some, you know, the biggest outcome or benefit for them? You know, John, I'm glad that you connected those two together because one of the things I'm excited about is is the feedback that we've gotten. You know, Ford, if people would read this book before they come to the workshop, because as you know, it's like, you know, taking a drink from a fire hose to get this information so quickly. It's why we did TL On Demand. But they said if people would read the book before they come, how much more they would absorb is, is crazy. And so we're excited about that. But But the thing that the outcome that, we hear the most is, wow, I came to a training that actually helped me personally be a better leader, which expanded my influence in the spheres I'm in. And so if people come and they become a better leader, and not, not come focused on how do I get all this to all the people I know, because that happens a lot. A lot of people start off there. They hear this stuff. They go, wow, I can't wait till I bring these other 50 people here. But when they, when they really take it into themselves, what they find is the influence they can have, the relationships they can have. You know, just learning how to apologize to your spouse, learning how to apologize to a coworker, not just to apologize, but, but the process of doing it that restores relationships beyond anything we thought imaginable. Those little things that as, as you become a leader, that you expand your influence, very few leaders really get to the level of, of expansion of their influence that they really have the ability and the capacity to do. And John, I argue it's just because they don't have the how. It's not that they don't have the brain. It's not that they don't have the heart. I've seen it over and over again. When we show people how to connect those things, not just what is the definition of leadership, 
But how do you do that definition? Not just what is a vision. How do you cast a vision that's inspiring? Not that conflict's a problem. How do you resolve conflict? Not that cash flow is a problem. How do you identify what's the biggest constraint that's causing cash flow to be the problem? You know, when people learn those and they and their level of uh, influence grows, they're now impacting more and more people around them. And that's what excites me about what we do. Awesome. Well, Ford, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your time. Thank you for writing this book because I know that this was a labor of love and it truly was a labor because you are a talker not a writer like you said and it's awesome and so i look forward to having you back on soon and just uh man just uh truly appreciate who you are and the influence and impact you have in the lives of individuals and societies cities communities and uh even nations so you are you are a, a special man my friend well john thank you for saying that it's an honor to be on the show with you, but far beyond, as I've told you this before, uh, when I met you, my life changed forever. Uh, you are such a, I, it's hard. If there ever was a transformational leader, uh, I could make a poster of and put it on the wall. <laughs> um, brother, I'm telling you, your, your picture would be on that poster. So thank you for all you do, how you do it, uh, the man you are, the man you're becoming. Uh, just thank you for the impact you've had on my life. I appreciate Pray that God that continues to bless you. Yes, and vice versa. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. That was our interview with Ford Taylor about how to become a transformational a, or a relational leader and just some incredible tools, ingredients, you know, how to change some behaviors in your organization. So as you've been listening to this, uh, you know, please, you know, pass this on to a friend you think might be interested. We'd love to hear from you. Remember our, our mission, our passion here at Eternal Leadership is just to be that conduit to connect you uh, to people, tools, knowledge, uh, resources that are going to accelerate you toward that that calling, that purpose, that, that worthwhile dream and goal that's on your heart. Thank you for listening today, and I look forward to talking to you again next week.